Tonight I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be thinking about the theme, prayer, and the great blessings afforded us through prayer. Matt read for us just a moment ago verses 7 through 11. I suspect that all of us as God's people appreciate the blessings of prayer. Paul talks about how all spiritual blessings reside in Christ in the heavenly places in Ephesians 1 at verse 3. No doubt one of the greatest spiritual blessings that God has bestowed on us as his people is prayer. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers or their supplications in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 12. And so tonight we want to think for just a few moments about the great blessings associated with prayer. The first thing that I would call your attention to tonight in our study is the invitation to pray. Look if you would at verse 7. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Isn't it encouraging to know that the Lord invites us to pray? We think about all of the many blessings and favors that we enjoy as a child of God, and yet to know that the Lord would want us to approach His throne in prayer. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 15, said, the prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights in the prayers of his people. And so, we are invited to pray. Let's think for just a moment about the command to pray. Now, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Did you know that there are many many commands found in the scriptures relating to the importance of prayer in the lives of God's people. Take, for example, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 17. He said, pray without ceasing. And what Paul meant there is that prayer is to be a daily part, or rather it is to be a regular part of our daily lives. Think for a moment about how important it is to eat regularly and to drink water. Well, I believe that prayer is just as vital to our spiritual life as bread and water are to our physical existence. And so, Paul said we are to pray without ceasing. In Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2, he said, Continue steadfastly in prayer watching therein with thanksgiving. In other words, we are to have a spirit of steadfastness when it comes to prayer. Did you know that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, spent time in prayer to his heavenly Father? In Mark chapter 1, we read of Jesus rising early in the morning and going out in a solitary place and praying to God the Father. On another occasion in Luke chapter 6, prior to selecting the apostles, we read of Jesus spending the night in prayer. 
Bear in mind, this is the Son of God. If Jesus, as the Son of God, recognized the importance of praying to his heavenly Father, should we not, as frail members of the human family, bow in prayer to God the Father on a regular basis? Not only do we have the command to pray, but also in the Bible, we find conditions to prayer. That is, there are certain prerequisites to praying to God the Father. First of all, I would suggest unto you that we must pray with a spirit of reverence, that is, reverentially. In Matthew chapter 6, at verse 9, when Jesus set forth the model prayer, he said to his disciples, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means to declare holy. When we approach the throne of God in prayer, we are approaching the almighty creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. In other words, we are approaching the very throne of God, deity. And so, we need to approach his throne with a spirit of reverence. Isaiah said, speaking of God, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. Sometimes individuals have the idea that they can just approach the throne of God in any way, in any flippant manner, and yet Jesus said that we need to pray declaring our Father holy, that there should be a spirit of reverence accompanying our prayer lives. But then also we should pray fervently. Was it not Jesus that said in Luke 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint? Or what about when Jesus prayed in the shadow of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane? In Luke chapter 22, at verse 44, the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly or more fervently. Is it possible that when we talk about our prayer life, that we fail to pray fervently or persistently to God the Father? Again, think about the words of Paul when he said that we ought to pray without ceasing. It should be a daily, it should be something that is a part of our daily lives. It should be woven into the fabric of our spiritual lives. And so, we pray fervently, we pray reverently, and we pray submissively. When Jesus prayed to God the Father concerning the cross that was before him, he said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Jesus prayed or uttered these words three times to God the Father. And each and every time he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. Many of us, we want our will to take precedence over the will of God. And so we can learn something from the prayer life of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, John said this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. When you pray to God the Father, do you remember to pray not your will, but his will to be accomplished in your life. And then I would also suggest that we should pray unpretentiously. 
That is, we're not to pray to put on a show, to show people how spiritually minded we are or how pious we are. In the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at tonight, back in chapter 6, when Jesus talks about the religious leaders of his day, he said they loved to pray standing on the street corners. And the reason was they wanted people to observe them and to step back and to say, oh, how pious they are, how spiritually minded they are. Well, Jesus said that we should go into our prayer closet and pray to our Heavenly Father. When we pray, we're not doing it so that people will say, what a great prayer we prayed or how spiritually minded we are. But rather, we are, we are approaching the throne of God humbly, submissively, fervently, and reverently. But then also, what about the considerations of prayer? Prayer, as I said a moment ago, is a tremendous blessing afforded us as God's people. And with that comes great responsibilities. For whom should we pray? Well, no doubt we should pray for ourselves. That is, we should pray that we are living in accordance with the will of God. All of us have things that come about in our daily lives that we step before the throne of God regularly about. But there are some specific things that I believe we should always keep in mind when we approach the throne of God in prayer. What are those things? Number one, I would submit unto you that we should pray for one another. What a blessing it is to be able to approach the throne of God on behalf of our fellow man. More specifically, on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. James said in chapter 5, verse 16, Confess your faults, confess your sins one to another, pray one for another. Did you know that you have the opportunity on a regular basis to bow in the presence of God and lift up your brothers and sisters in Christ before the Heavenly Father. There are some individuals in the body of Christ because of age, because of physical limitations, are no longer able to be very active in the body of Christ. Physically speaking, maybe they cannot go out and visit the sick. Maybe they're not able to go out and physically do things on behalf of others like preparing meals or serving those who may be sick or afflicted or may, who may have lost a loved one. But there is one thing each and every one of us can do, and that is we can pray. We can pray for one another. So as we think about some considerations of prayer, let me submit unto you that we should pray for one another. We can also pray for the sick. Again, in James chapter 5 at verse 15, James said, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. That's always good and right to ask an eldership, those who occupy this great office in the church, to pray on our behalf. But I believe that we have the opportunity to pray for those who are sick. Think for a moment about Hezekiah in the long ago. In the Bible... That is, in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20, we read of Hezekiah being sick, and Isaiah had told him to set his house in order because he was going to die and not live. And the Bible says that Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and God added 15 years unto his life. 
Well, you and I, we have the opportunity to pray on behalf of those who are sick and afflicted, who may be facing some type of surgery, who may be facing some type of very difficult and lengthy illness or disease, and to know that our Heavenly Father will hear our prayers. What a comforting thought. Also, I would suggest that we can pray for the weak. There are people within the church who are spiritually weak. In other words, they're not what they should be. Now, how do I know that? Well, look around tonight. Why is it that there is a vast difference in attendance figures from Sunday morning to Sunday night? Now, somebody might say, well, we need to be talking about this on Sunday morning. Well, that's true. We do. We do need to do that. But there are some people who are spiritually weak. They're not as mature in the faith as we. They have not committed their lives to the Son of God. In the book of Luke, we read of Jesus making an interesting statement to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What was, what was Jesus saying to Simon on that occasion? He was saying, in effect, listen, Satan wants to put you through the mill. Well, how then did Jesus respond? The text tells us that Jesus said to Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. You and I, all of us, as members of the body of Christ, we know people who are in the church who are not as strong as they should be. They are not as faithful as they should be. Can we not pray for them? Granted, we should be working to restore them. We should be working to bring them about to spiritual maturity. But one thing we can do, we can approach the throne of God on a regular basis on their behalf, praying that their eyes might be opened, that they would see the need to become faithful and dedicated workers in the kingdom of God. So we pray for one another. We pray for the sick. We pray for the weak. We also pray for the lost. When Paul wrote to, to the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We need to pray for the lost, that we will have the opportunity to take the gospel of Christ to them. I'm not sure what the population is in DeSoto County. I suspect in Shelby County, if you were to look at Memphis and surrounding areas, that you're talking about a population in excess of a million people. Now, at one time, I had taken, taken the time to count the number of congregations in the Shelby County area, the number of Christians that comprise the body of Christ, if you were to add them as well as those in DeSoto County, guess what? You're not talking about a lot of people. There are many people in this community and in this part of the country that are lost. 
I would encourage you, find somebody that you know, maybe a friend, a co-worker, a family member. Find somebody, isolate that individual, and begin praying right now that they might come to know the truth through the gospel of Christ. Pray that you could be an instrument to teach them the truth of the gospel. Pray for them. You could even tell them that you're praying for them, that your desire is that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, as Paul said, and be saved. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. We need to pray for the lost. But then I would suggest we need to pray for the rulers of this world. And more specifically, we need to pray for those who are in positions of power and authority in our nation. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said that prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks should be made for all men, especially for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If there was ever a time when the leaders of our country needed our prayers, that time is now. Now I know that there are many people in our country that have the idea that what we need to do is loosen ourselves from the moors of biblical teaching that we need to become more politically correct. My response to that is that is foolish. What we need to do is encourage people to move closer to the teaching of the Bible. Solomon said, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Look at some of the kingdoms that have been a part of world history. When you look back at some of the great and mighty empires of the past, the Assyrians, where are they now? The Medo-Persian Empire, where are they now? The Grecian Empire, where are they? The Roman Empire, again, where are they? You think about all of these great and mighty kingdoms, and yet we, we know, historically speaking, that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And I would be willing to submit unto you tonight, if a country will not honor the laws of God, then that country is not destined to stand for long. Our country needs to move back to God. Have you ever paused to think about the millions, literally millions of abortions that have been committed in this country since 1973? In excess of 40 million babies have been aborted. Now let me just ask you in a very candid way, do you really think that God is going to let us, that he's going to give us a pass on this ungodly deed? Do you really think that God is just going to turn his head to a nation that has literally destroyed over 40 million babies. We better wake up as a society. 
We look around in our society and we see those that are promoting the gay agenda. Again, do you think that God is pleased with that kind of mentality? What about the crime and murder rates that are soaring in our country? And yet, we have more inmates than we have prisons. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the United States has the distinction of having more people incarcerated than any Whatever happened to capital punishment? I know that there are a lot of people in our world we do not need My response to that is read Romans chapter 13. Paul talks about bearing the sword in vain. And really what Paul is saying in that context is this. If you fail to uphold the laws of the land and execute and fail to execute those that have committed heinous crimes, you're bearing the sword in vain. What is a deterrent to evildoers? Capital punishment. When individuals see capital punishment, then they understand that there is a penalty imposed for committing their heinous crimes. We need to pray for the rulers of our world. We need to also pray for our enemies. Somebody says that's not right. After all, that's not natural to pray for our enemies. Jesus said, you have heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But he said, we should bless them that curse us, do good to them that hate us, that we should pray for them who despitefully use and persecute us in chapter 5, verse 44 of Matthew. So we can pray for our enemies Pray for them and show them the kind of love that the Lord would have us to demonstrate toward them. Also, I would submit unto you that we can pray for our families. Go back to the Old Testament and read of Hannah. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah prayed for a child. She fervently prayed to the Lord. And God granted, granted the petitions of her prayer. And so, she said... As long as this child lives, he shall be granted to the Lord. She gave that child to the service of God in heaven. We should pray for our family members, pray for our children, pray for our mate. We should pray that our family members will follow the teaching of the Bible. Think for a moment about Joshua. Joshua said in chapter 24, verse 15, As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Or Job in chapter 1. Job was an upright man, one that feared God, turned away from evil. In chapter 1, verse 5, we read of Job offering sacrifices on behalf of his children. He had ten children, seven sons and three daughters. His reasoning was that they might have sinned against God. Is it not the case? Job was concerned about the spiritual well-being of his children, about his family members. Should we not be concerned about the spiritual well-being of our family members? 
As parents, should we not seek to rear our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Should we not seek for our children to obey us in the Lord? As Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 1. And then finally, I would suggest that we pray for the church. We should pray for the church of Christ. Pray that the church will grow and abound. Pray that individuals will have the opportunity to hear the gospel. If people in this community are going to hear the gospel of Christ, it's going to be because of people like you and me. We should pray for the church right here at Isla Branch. The work here should be flourishing. It should flourish. There's no reason in the world why this congregation cannot be filled with people. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some prayers on our part. But we should be praying for the church right here at Olive Branch. Do you love the church? The church is the body of Christ. We talk about the church universally and locally. Are you praying for the church right here at Olive Branch regularly? I would encourage you to pray for the elders. Pray that they would have the wisdom to lead us as a congregation, to lead us in the paths of righteousness, to do what's right. Pray that God will bless them with wisdom and courage and conviction. I'm grateful for the elders that we have. And I believe that they need our prayers. Their wives need our prayers. I encourage you to pray for them. I would also encourage you to pray for me and Nancy and Braden. Pray for us regularly. We need your prayers. We covet your prayers. Our goal is to work together to do everything that we can to advance the cause in this community. If, it's going to, if the church here is going to advance, if it's going to grow, it's going to be because we as a team, as a body, work together. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Pray that people in this community will view the church here as a light in a darkened world. Pray that we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Pray that we will be an example so that when others see us in this community, that they will be drawn to us. Think for a moment about the world. What does the world have to offer? You look around in the world today, think about all of the people in this community. What do you find in the world? You find bickering. You find hatred. You find gossip. You find individuals who are at war with one another, who are fighting for one another, who are fighting with one another regularly. Now let me ask you this question. If people in the world look at the church, if they let's just say if they look at the church here at Olive Branch and they see those kind of characteristics exemplified by us, why would they want to be a, a member here? Why would they want to be a part of the church at Olive Branch? You know what the answer to that is? They will not want to be a part of the work here. You know why? Because if they want fighting and bickering and hatred and ungodly behavior, they've got all they can.
the world and all of that. If they want that, they might as well stay where they are because that's what the world is about. And yet we as God's people are to be transformed. When the world sees the church, the world needs to see something different. Too many congregations are trying to mirror the world. Well, the world doesn't have anything to offer us, but as members of the body of Christ, we should have something to offer the world. And that something is the gospel. That something is a life of peace and harmony and love and kindness and gentleness. So they need to see something different. So there's the invitation to pray. Secondly, the inspiration to pray. Why pray? Why should you and I, as God's people, pray? Well, let me suggest, number one, we should pray because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Note, if you would, our confidence. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and he and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Did you know that prayer is a privilege, but there is also the idea that there is power in prayer? In other words, God answers our prayers. When you and I bow before the throne of God, we're praying to Jehovah God because we believe that he has the power to affect change in our lives. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Is it not the case that there is power in prayer? What a blessing to know that God hears our prayers and answers them accordingly. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you and I approach the throne of God in prayer, we can expect... Jehovah God, to hear our prayers and answer them accordingly. Again, the words of Peter, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Listen to the words of James in chapter 5, verse 16. He said, the effectual or the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Did James know what he was talking about? What a question. He was an inspired man. And James said, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When you bow your head in prayer to God, you need to believe, you need to understand that God hears your prayers. Again, the Hebrew writer said, When we draw boldly unto the throne of grace, we may expect to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Do you ever find yourself in need in this life? Are there times when the only thing that you know to do is pray to God? Probably. When we pray to God, can we expect to believe that he's going to hear our prayers and answer them in accordance with his will? Absolutely. I believe in the power and the privilege of prayer. I hope you do. But then also... Listen, if you would, to this consolation that we have. Note verse 9. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
If you ask for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying here? He's simply saying that if our earthly fathers, if our earthly parents provide what is best for us as children, then God, who is infinitely good and gracious, will provide those things that we need in this life. You see, that's the kind of God we serve. Think for just a moment about what it means to be a parent. As a parent, we want the utmost good for our children, do we not? When they ask us for something, if we believe that what they're asking for would be beneficial to them, would help them or aid them in some way, then we do our best to provide that. Now, if we try to do what's good and beneficial for our children, then certainly our Heavenly Father is going to do that and do it even more abundantly. Paul said unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in Ephesians chapter 3. Now I want to close by just asking this question. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in answered prayers? I do. I believe that God loves us, He cares for us, He invites us to pray, and that there is inspiration for us to pray. And the inspiration is, why should, in other words, why should we pray? Because God hears our prayers and He answers them in accordance with His will. And so we should pray. We should want to pray. Somebody might say, well, if God is all-knowing, and He is, then He already knows what I need. Why then should I take the time to ask God for something or to pray to God when He knows everything? Well, just think about this for a moment. As a parent, you know your children have needs, do you not? Why, sure you do. And because you know that they have needs, does it bother them when they come and ask you for something? Well, of course not. Sometimes individuals will say, my children or my husband or wife, they know I love them, so I don't need to tell them. All of us like to hear the words. All of us like for somebody to tell us that they love us. You see, we have the opportunity to commune, to communicate with the God of heaven. We can approach his throne. We can make our wants and petitions known to him. We can express to him our gratitude, our thankfulness. We can express to him how much we love and appreciate him for all that he's done for us. Does God know all of that? Absolutely. But I believe that we, as his creatures, as his creation, we have the opportunity to tell him that. I hope that prayer is a part of your life. If you're not a Christian, 
then you do not have the privilege of prayer availing in your life. And so what we want you to do is to obey the gospel so that this would be one of the great spiritual blessings that you enjoy in your life. So that you can have the opportunity to pray to Jehovah God. What would you need to do? Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. When you do that, the Lord then adds you to the church, Acts 2, 47. You enjoy all of the spiritual blessings that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1, verse 3. And if you live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, James 1, verse 12. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, I plead to you, come home. Come back to the Lord. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We have the opportunity tonight to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon every sin. Would you come as we stand and sing?